genre. Hello, and welcome back to the Cornetto Minute, The Road to the World's End, the uh, semi-regular podcast or the monthly podcast where we uh, are are exploring, watching, and talking about films that have inspired Edgar Wright's The World's End. Indeed. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Welcome back. Yes. Welcome. Thank you for listening, everybody. Happy happy New Year. Golden Mile Hiatus Special. Yeah, Golden Mile Hiatus Special. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Uh, our um, last one was uh, the big chill, right? Doesn't does that not feel like it was like six fucking months ago? It was like six weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. I've been I've been I've been gradually pushing these back a little in the month, the release date, sure, sure, sure. Um, because of uh, when I know that the world's end was is going to premiere. The world's end season is going to oh, premiere. Okay, okay. So, um, but uh, yeah. Yep. So you'll be getting this. Uh, you'll be getting this, uh, around the, the, uh, around the, uh, uh, you know, um, end of this month, like right before new year's, mm-hmm. um, you should be listening to this episode, but, uh, yeah, we're talking about after hours, uh, yeah, the um, 1985 Martin Scorsese joint yes. picture picture <laughs> Martin Scorsese picture. Is he the only one still doing that? Because. I think he's there's something that a Martin Scorsese picture always sounds right. Yeah. Uh but I don't I like I don't I don't think I think he's the only one who could pull it off. Yeah. Like, like if I if I saw like a Todd Phillips picture, I'd be like fuck you. Yeah. Or like a Noah Baumbach picture. Right. Sound right. Right. It's like how if anyone else did a Spike Lee joint, it'd be like fuck you. Right. Well, that's more specific, I think. Yeah. Picture Pic- picture doesn't have to be specific, but I think it's become specific because he's the Got a picture, does it? That's a good picture. Yeah. Uh, so like yeah. if Steven Spielberg changed his vanity credit to a Steven Spielberg picture, I'd be like, "Well, yeah, sure, all right, you can do that." Yeah, he could. That's fair. Weird flex this late in the game. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this was uh, starring Griffin Dunn of uh, American Werewolf in London fame. Uh, yeah, fellow uh, another Edgar Wright favorite. Right. He was the um, the best friend who his his first kill. Yes. The or, one. That, the, no. Oh yeah, I guess it is weird that he's haunting him when he didn't kill him. Yeah, the real werewolf, did, the the old werewolf. Did. Yeah, yeah, and the he, OG. Yeah, and then he haunts he haunts his friend. He haunts his friend. I wonder if he haunts the other dude also. You think he like goes back and forth? That's funny. Yeah. And you just never see the other one. Yeah, because like theoretically, that werewolf is all is is like a dude in the village. Right. He's still like, you know, rolling around. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. What if he was in the bar? Mm, I did, didn't they show up after night though that's true that's yeah. true he would have already been a werewolf yeah honestly i'm surprised that anyone was in the bar that's true because they were all like there's something in the moors yeah, like, what are you doing out here yeah <laughs> Why maybe, you, maybe it's safer bar? if you're in if you're in if you're in uh the moors yeah and you know there's a werewolf out sure do you shack up in your home or do you go to the pub do you do you go do you be with people mm, i would stay at home sure i think uh, it's pretty scary. Uh, written by <laughs> Joseph Minion, 
uh-huh. with an uncredited rewrite by or uncredited script input by Martin Scorsese. Yeah, and uh, and we looked up the uh, you rather you looked up the uh, the the road to getting this movie made, and it was actually pretty interesting. Uh, it was a uh, it was written as part of an assignment for uh, Joseph Minion's film course at Columbia University. Yeah, so he wrote it. Like in his early 20s. He was 26 years old at the time the film was produced. Produced. Yeah. Not written. Yeah, produced. Yeah, produced. Um, so he was uh, he was in his early 20s when he wrote it. Yeah. And uh, some uh, you, you found this. I thought it was pretty cool. The original uh, name of the movie at one point was uh, A Night in Soho. Right. Which is uh, obviously a connection to Edgar Wright's new film. Last Night in Soho. Yep. So that that's kind of... We'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, something else that I thought was interesting. One of Scorsese's, this is from Wikipedia, one of Scorsese's inputs involves the dialogue between Paul and the doorman at Club Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was inspired by Franz Kafka's Before the Law. As Scorsese explained uh, in the short story, the short story reflected his own frustration toward the production of The Last Temptation of Christ because he had to keep waiting on it. So what? Oh, so this was about waiting for the for the... Uh, waiting to get into the club yeah the mohawk club yeah okay that was that was scorsese kind of venting his frustration on last temptation of christ that he'd been trying to make again and again and kept getting stopped and stopped oh i mean okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll come right there with you (laughs) where it's like it's literally just a scene about a bouncer who won't let him into a club you can't get in pal and then he lets another guy come in and he's like well what about that guy why didn't he have to wait and he's like well he's a mohawk it's mohawk night i like to think that mohawk guy (laughs) is like brian de palma (laughs) like well but i am like oh he's making scarface no it'd have to be a younger guy right oh that's true yeah so who (laughs) is i mean they're all I don't think I don't think he would diss his buddies. That's true. He would, he would diss one of the young the younger. Yeah, guys. De Palma, Coppola, Lucas, and Spielberg, and Scorsese were all buddies. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think he'd diss any of them. It'd be one of the newbies. Yeah, whose names I can't even conjure up. I don't even know who the new newbies were in right? the eighties. Like who who was the Ari Aster of the eighties? Who was the? I uh, can't think of any. You know, because like a lot of th- a lot of times those dudes like fizzle out and forge. Yeah, I also think it's almost like it's the. The beginning of Scorsese's frustration with the studio system in terms of not being able to get his his films made while these stupid blockbusters get made no problem that right. are like three times as expensive as anything he yeah. wants to do. Like Back to the Future earlier right. that year. Oh, maybe that's maybe it's maybe it's, it's, it's 1985. It's a Hey, That guy got in. Well, he's got a mod. Give him a no, he's got a time machine. He's got a DeLorean. You got, you got, a, got time, a DeLorean? You got a time machine? Movie? <laughs> no, I'm making a movie about Christ. He's got he's got uh he's got uh Michael J. Fox. You got Michael J. Fox? No, I have Griffin Dunn. <laughs> That's not the same Who thing. The fuck is Griffin Dunn? <laughs> he's in a werewolf movie. So uh the uh, the film uh could be talking about Landis also. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Landis is a dick. Yeah, he's a shithead. <laughs> Landis sucks. Yeah, Landis sucks. Uh, I I say this I say this uh, you know by by really like American Werewolf in London is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I will most likely never watch it again. Sure. After learning everything I've learned about John Landis, I don't think I could ever watch anything he's directed yeah, ever again. Yeah, and not just the Twilight Zone thing. Yeah, but everything after the Twilight Zone. Yeah, thing, how he handled it, how he swept it under the rug. Right. Uh, his spawn. His spawn. Yeah. Um, his covering up for his spawn. Sure. For years, he, he, yeah, he, he helping his spawn get a career, no matter how much his spawn <laughs> said that wasn't the case. 
it is a fact yeah. that he did help him get a career. Oh man. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, that whole family can go like jump off a cliff. Well, they're, they're the, the mom. Mom I, is fine. I don't know enough about the mom to say jump off a cliff. Oh, but, the mom. Uh, the mom. Uh, you know who she is, though, right? She's a costume designer. Yeah, yeah. Costume designer yeah. designed Indiana Jones. Oh yeah. Yeah. The hat. Yeah, the hat. Um, and some other stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Maybe she's bad too. I don't know. The movie know. has been described as quote a yuppie nightmare cycle, right? Which I think is very apt. Yeah. So yeah. So the movie uh, Gr- Griffin Dunn Screwball Noir. Screwball Noir is what it was called by Scorsese. Yeah. And it stars uh, Griffin Dunn as Paul Hackett. Paul Hackett. A that's like the most yuppie name. Yeah. Ever. Paul Hackett. Paul Hackett. He is a computer word processor. Yeah. And uh, one day, he, what does that mean? Who knows? What do you do? As a computer word processor, do you just type stuff? Yeah, is he just retyping stuff? Is he is he moving stuff from physical words into the computer? I is don't he know. like moving hard copies of paperwork and files into a computer? I don't know. That'd be a really tedious job because you just have to do it over and over and over and over again. Because they would keep upgrading. It doesn't. That's yeah, true. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's <laughs> especially having, back then. It doesn't look like he's having a fun time. No, uh, he looks miserable, bulky. Says uh, it's not like he, he's like this is a temporary job. I'm not going to do this forever. Could you imagine doing this forever? And then he just like looks around the office like, oh god, I'm going to do this forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that leads us into like what the yeah what the movie is. So he's at a uh, he's at a cafe. Yeah, he's reading if I'm not mistaken, Tropic of Cancer uh-huh. by Henry Miller. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He meets a girl named Kiki, played Kiki. by played by Rosanna Arquette. Wait. Yeah. No, was Kiki? No, yeah, Kiki was the girl. Kiki wasn't the the Linda Fiorentino, right? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, Kiki was Linda Fiorentino. Marcy, Marcy is the girl that she meets, and he so he meets this girl. The and it's immediately like, what are you reading? You want to come back to my place? Yeah. Like, so one thing leads to another. This kind of falls into one of our favorite subgenres of uh, one of, crazy night, the, the one crazy night movie. Yeah. So he like. Which I think is the biggest influence on the world's end. Both, both. I think, I think both the one crazy night mm-hmm. concept and structure, but also the structure of this film that starts off relatively normal and then takes a hard left turn about halfway through, yeah. and then goes into like insane territory the rest of the movie. Yeah, but, I, I think that structure is is the thing that yes. that influenced the world more end. than anything else. Cause, yeah, because this doesn't really have the nostalgia, no, or the friend, no, get, friend. No. Get, no nostalgia whatsoever. No nostalgia. Uh, no, like friends getting back together, but it no. does have that engine of a one crazy night descent into madness. Yeah, coming out the other end of it. You start to feel, you know, we're what is this? Our third, the body snatchers. Oh, fourth, Westworld. Westworld, big chill, Westworld. and then this. this. Yeah. So fourth one, but yeah, combining all of those together, you are starting to get a picture of the world's end. Definitely, little by little, little by little. I think. I think of the. I think Paul Hackett probably reminds me the most of like um, Nick Frost. Yeah, or maybe uh, maybe a little bit uh, Stevie Baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Steven was like a real estate guy, right? No, that was um, uh, Oh Man. Oh Man. Okay. Yeah. Oh 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 oh. So, so Stephen was an architect. Yeah, he's an architect, and then uh, Peter is like a car salesman. Car salesman. Got it, yeah, got it. Got it. So yeah, it's kind of it's very Kafka esque. Which I'm actually not using, ironically. Uh, <laughs> uh, he he immediately, Rosanna Arquette is immediately into him. Yeah. He goes in a because he's reading a book. Because he's reading a book, and he's he's fucking white hot sex machine Griffin Dunn with his unibrow. With his unibrow. 
His no. Big big Ted Bundy energy. Big to big Ted Bundy energy. <laughs> anyone talk to me? And then he uh his oh he goes in a cab and a twenty dollar bill flies out so he loses his money. Uh huh. He meets uh, Linda Fortino, Kiki from yeah. Men in Black and Dogma, roommate of uh, Marcy. Marcy. Yeah, and she's like kind of a yuppie New York avant garde sculptor. Yeah, and yeah, and it just kind of like one thing leads to another. He has to do this, which leads him to that place. He keeps meeting all these crazy characters. Things start getting crazier. He gets mistaken for a burglar that's been uh, terrorizing the the, the the neighborhood of Soho. Um, the like like five places have been robbed all in one night. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, this turns out to be a, a prequel to the Home Alone series. Oh yes, yeah. Um, Both it, McAllister parents are in this. Yeah, and they meet in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they actually do meet in this, uh, and it's uh, it's a weird moment. It's it's surreal because I just w- rewatched those movies for the first time in a long time. Oh really? Yeah, and. Uh, uh, and so I was like, I was like watching this, and when they're both in this, it like freaked me out sure, a little, yeah, because they're just they're so different from who they are in the Home Alone movies. What uh, what was your? So it's not like something you rewatch every year. No. Okay. No, no. no. Do they age well? Uh, the first one did. I I I think Home Alone still stands up as like a solid movie. Um, I think Home Alone Two is kind of like. A little too cartoony and wacky, especially with all the the the, the sticky bandit stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the rest of it, like Kevin just exploring New York and like going to the toy store and all of that, is really nice. Mm-hmm. And um, it reminds me a lot of cr- the Chris Columbus who would direct Harry Potter. Oh, I get that. There's a lot of Harry Potter in Lost in New York, like, like a lot. Lady. Yeah, that kind of whimsy yeah and in like him like discovering the the hotel and being like wow Mm -hmm. like just just being amazed by all of it you know it's there's a lot of harry potter um in 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 lost in new york a lot uh but the first home alone feels more like a john hughes movie sure like the second one feels like a chris columbus movie for better or worse yeah and the the first one feels like a john hughes movie that chris columbus just happens to be directing yeah um i would say that's the difference yeah uh, the first one still holds up. The second one is, yeah. What they what what happens to the burglars is so over the top. Yeah, he gets like Lamar turns into a skeleton, right? Yeah, they should be dead. Yeah, like he is electrocuted for like thirty full seconds. <laughs> he should be dead. Yeah, dead. Uh, uh, oh, and he get uh, uh yeah. So Marv gets electrocuted for like thirty full seconds, and then Joe Pesci. Uh, he gets blowtorched on the head again, yes. and then he he-, he dunks his head in the toilet. But Kevin has filled the toilet with kerosene. Oh man! And it explodes. So they- and he's fine. Yeah, he, he just was- he just he's like he's like got like black on him like a like a cartoon yeah, character. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think Scorsese <laughs> watched slash enjoyed both Home Alones? <laughs> I'd like to think that he did. You know what I'll say about the Home Alone movies though. Low key, the mm-hmm. best part about them, easily the best part about them, is the John Williams soundtrack. Oh, I can't. Which is insane that John Williams did the score for those movies. Yeah, and then fucking brought it. Oh my god! I actually those movies would be would be nothing. Like I don't think that first movie would even have been a hit had it not been for John Williams. Yeah, somewhere in my memory. Yeah, I actually real talk uh, couldn't really watch it this year. 
Oh yeah. Because of that score. Oh yeah. I was like, I can't handle it right now. Yeah. I don't need that in my life. Yeah. This, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's, it's emotional. Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, uh, and so yes, speaking of Lost in New York, yeah, uh, <laughs> so yeah, like our <laughs> our main, yeah. So he's like, you brought it back around. I brought it back around. So <laughs> like this one didn't, we didn't love this one. Yeah, I think I really loved the filmmaking. Yeah, and the energy. Yeah, because this is like this might be Scorsese's shortest movie. Yeah, it might be. It's not even two hours. No, it's like barely an hour and a half. Yeah. 97 minutes. But like, you know, unfortunately, I think all three of us who watched this with Bethany mm -hmm. just kind of kept seeing the, oh, this was clearly written by a 25-year-old film student. Not even 25. Because yeah. again, that's when it was produced. Oh, uh, right. Not so, written. So yeah, 24, 23 even. Probably even younger maybe. Because <laughs> he's like this skinny loser that reads Henry Miller and every woman that he meets is a total stranger but is immediately entranced by him and like invites him in. And I, and like, yeah, I kind of... It, and it begs begs him to save them. Yeah. From this or that, from their job, from their relationship, from boredom, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, from, I forget what, what, uh, Catherine O'Hara's deal is. Oh, she, she plays a Mr. Softy driver. Right. Oh, right. But I forget how she gets him back to the apartment. Oh yeah. It's, it was always like, it was almost like assumed. Yeah. He went to so many people's apartments and not just, not just uh, straight women, but also gay men. Yeah, that's true. Like everyone was into, like everyone wanted this guy's dick. Come in. Yeah. And yeah, I guess it does kind of, it, it, it does, it does remind me of a certain form of, of, of literature where it is like this one kind of blank slate, nothing character. Yeah. Just kind of having stuff put upon him. Didn't Griffin Dunn, didn't he end up doing an arc? Didn't he play someone's dad on Gossip Girl? Maybe. Probably like let me look, let me look it up. I feel like he he played um, uh, what's her name's uh dad. Um, it was produced by Griffin Dunn as well. Yeah, yeah, because it was his studio. His he had like a he had like a little little production uh, company that he was making movies. Uh, self starers. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, I didn't know Griffin Dunn was in uh, Ocean's Eight. Oh, huh. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, just look up a picture if you've no, if you're not familiar with Griffin Dunn, look up a picture of Griffin Dunn, uh, and and you try and figure out why this movie thinks that he's uh, he's just like everybody's favorite guy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think Griffin Dunn was in Gossip Girl. Oh, I thought he was. Okay, well, anyway, I think he was in something where he was like a like a like a yuppie successful dad yeah, guy yeah. in something and i just assumed it was gossip girl <laughs> sure new york yeah new york uh so yeah i, I like the energy i like terry gar in this movie linda forentino mm -hmm. but it all just kind of it's just kind of a a, a, a pekarski is that how you say it uh but it's just kind of like a series of events oh yeah series of misadventures yeah they think they, they are all linked together though it all comes together yeah I don't know if it, I don't know if it all comes together, but they are they are all linked together. Yeah, where it's like you thought that this was just a random bartender, but he's actually Marcy's boyfriend, right? Or like the pills belonged to this to, person. Yeah, him. yeah, to the bartender. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like yeah. So what did you what, what did you enjoy about this? Or, or, or what did you take away from this? I'm watching. It. I mean, you know, I think the thing that I took away from it was just like 
it 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 sort of worked as as two ways, right? So it seemed like the moral of the movie was the idea of like as simplistic as it is, it really did seem like like appreciate what you have. Right. Like like yeah, okay, so you're a you're a, you're a yuppie word processor. <laughs> but it could be worse. Like the whole point of this is that it starts off with him being like, "Oh my god, my job sucks." And I think th- I mean there's even um uh, what's her name even says like, oh, I need to quit my job. Like my job sucks. And oh, the almost, waitress. Yeah. yeah, the waitress. It almost seems like it's in reference to him. Like it's meant yeah, to be allegorical true. or yeah, something. Yeah, we're no ones. Um, but so, but then it ends with him arriving back at work at the next morning and going to work. Yeah, literally and, tossed out of a truck and the sun's rising. And yeah, he's back at work. And he feels. It, it seems like there's relief mm-hmm. that he's at work. Yeah. Which is not how he felt when he left work. Yeah. So I feel like that's the moral of the story is mm-hmm. like appreciate what you have. Because going through this bohemian odyssey where he has to go to a punk club. Right. And he goes to a gross bar. Right. And women that he wanted to sleep with kill themselves. Right. And he's like, no, me. Yeah. So I think there's I think there's a little bit of that. I think that's that's the, the moral of the story. Yeah. And it's definitely it's definitely the moral of a story written by a college student. <laughs> Um, it's but, safe up in my ivory tower. Yeah. Um, but then uh, there's also, I feel like, just this general element of, um, like, throughout it, it's just like this allegorical or metaphorical representation of what it feels like when noth- when you're having a night where nothing's going yeah. right nothing's going right you just keep missing your train by that much or you don't have enough fare you just yeah by that much or your money goes out the window or you lose your keys yeah because that's this whole thing it was like i just want to go home yeah it, i just i don't want to do this anymore yeah it's like the reverse white castle right yeah you get you get framed as a burglar <laughs> and we all relate to that we've all been like stuck in the city i think at mm-hmm. some point we're like i just want to get home yeah so this is so much harder than it needs to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was a fun odyssey. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's there's elements of it that I like. I think it would be... It's just strange because this isn't... I don't think this kind of movie is Scorsese's cup of tea. Sure. Like, I, I just... I don't, I don't think he's good at this. Um, the, the, at, the romp. Yeah. No, at filmmaking. No, no, uh, no. no, I don't think he's a good filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. At this kind of thing, like the, the short and sweet sort of romp. Like he's, he uh, likes to really dig his heels into a world and, and make you live in it, s- live in it for three hours. You know, like that's, that's more his style. And I think that this felt very disjointed and, and uh, uh, I don't know, just, he definitely created a, a mood, a world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. But it was mostly out of like coincidence. Right. Then like natural growth, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, where it was like, what this? Yeah, everything everything happened in it that was like connected was just a, a coincidence. It was like another coincidence. Yeah, I didn't really feel like it was because of because he did this and because he did that. It was just like right. stuff happening to him. Right, right. Um, and it was always like, you just, we were just constantly watching it and we would see the next step coming about yeah. like five seconds before he did. We're like, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, no. Oh, that's probably that character. Or yeah. I bet, I bet he's the boyfriend or I yeah. bet those are the roommates. Right. We just were like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's 
it's it's it's a little hallucinatory or hallucinogenic. Yeah, where it almost yeah, like I think Bethany was the one who compared it to Taxi Driver, where it feels like a fever dream. Yeah, where you're like it's set in reality, but then you're like, wait, that's not how that would. Or like, wait, what? Yeah, like, why is she? Why is why why is Linda Fortino like naked right now? Right, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I kept expecting like Travis Bickle to walk in or like mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage bringing out the dad to drive up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There was a waiter at the beginning that was like dancing at the, at the, oh. at the register. And I thought that was Robert, R- Robert De Niro. That would have been great if he just had a cameo. Yeah. Uh, do you want to share your uh, clerks animated series connection? That oh yeah. Anyone who watched the clerks animated series, there's a scene in that where Jay is uh, dancing with a chimpanzee or an orangutan. Uh, Suzanne, I think, from Mallrats, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're like dancing, and I, I always assumed it was a movie reference, but I didn't know what it was a reference to, and it turned out it was a reference to this. Great, this, this seems like a this. movie that Kevin Smith would would fucking love. Yeah, when he was like nineteen. Or oh, I bet it inspired Clerks. That's true. Yeah, it's just kind of yeah, yeah. Oh my God, uh, uh, Griffin Dunn is very Dante esque. Oh yeah. In fact, um, there's a episode of uh, the the Clerks cartoon that reminds me of this, except that it's a bottle version of this. Oh, really? Where they're where where the episode is that like they go to a comic con and they're uh, they're accused of their animated series not being anything like the movie. So then they're determined to make a a movie or an episode where they never leave the the convenience store. Oh, cool. And so like, it's the last episode of the, of the series and uh, all of this crazy stuff is happening outside of the convenience store and all these wacky characters are coming in and all of this, but like, they're not seeing any of it because it's all outside. Yeah, but they yeah, keep yeah. getting like hooked into stuff. That's what it reminds me of. Man, people were bummed that the clerks animated series went outside. No, no, no. This was in the cartoon. Oh, in the cartoon. Okay. Yeah, the cartoon characters went to a con. And oh, and the, all the and, car- and the and the yeah, and the 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 Hey, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The, they were cartoon versions of people at a con. Got it, got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. What a great what a great animated series. Six episodes. Perfect six perfect episodes. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's funny too, because right before I even talked about the that uh that the reference, yeah. That reference, you we saw um the bartender and you were like, ah, the honorable Judge Reinhold, which is from the Clerks cartoon. God, it's just in our marrow. Yeah, that animated series. I know, and it wasn't Judge it Reinhold. It wasn't Judge Reinhold. Yeah, it was. It was. It was, it, it was, it was Mr. McAllister. Mm. Yeah, oh, whose name I can't recall. And may he may he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. Yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it this was, was a romp. It was a lark. Yeah, it's an interesting movie. I don't, I don't know that it has a whole lot to say. Yeah, it's kind of, it's definitely lesser tier Scorsese. Yeah, I've heard that this is some people's fucking jam, or this is like their favorite Scorsese. Yeah, and kind of see why I guess if you're a certain kind of person, it would make sense that this would be Edgar Wright's favorite Scorsese. Yeah, because it's so full of energy. Yeah, and little things like very spaced. Yes, like, where like people throwing keys down at someone is super dramatic. Yeah, or that taxi when he's in a taxi and it's just ripping through the streets. Oh yeah, it's very spaced. Yeah, very much so. Um, it's yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting movie. I just don't think I ever need to see it again. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing in it that really makes me immediately want to revisit it the way that I like could watch The Aviator right now or yeah like, I can or Goodfellas or Goodfellas or The Irishman. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely lesser tier. Like if I'm ranking Scorsese movies, this I think this is like 
I don't know how many movies he has, but I would say this is bottom 10, mm-hmm. maybe even bottom five. Yeah, and there's a few I haven't seen. Like, I haven't seen Age of Innocence. I haven't, right. You know, haven't Get seen Kundun. Right. Who has? <laughs> <laughs> Other than film critics. Yeah. That, who yeah. has seen Kundun? Um, Kundun Minute. Coming, Kundun Minute. Coming 2020. Woof. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's... uh. It was it was it was okay. It was just like there was a lot of stuff that hasn't aged well. For sure. Um the treatment of women definitely hasn't aged well and I mean that's not the movie's fault. It doesn't know any better. Yeah, 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 but it's just now it seems kind of like hacky. Yeah. Instead right. of like I don't know, cool. Yeah. Like, like oh, these women, I'm just trying to go home. Yeah. Yeah, I will say there were a lot of there were a lot more female characters than male characters. Yeah, this, for a Scorsese movie, interesting. And I was reading there's kind of like a, a a reoccurring theme of him being constantly emasculated by these women. Right. Yeah. Like the like the shark biting the erection. In yeah. The, Whoa. Yeah. The shark biting the erection. Yeah. In the in the it was like there was like graffiti in a toilet. Yeah. Urinal stall or whatever. Yeah. Where he keeps leading with his dick and it keeps biting him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I can't uh, recommend it necessarily. Yeah, if anything that we're saying sounds fun, you know, seeing like a, a kind of fun rock and roll Scorsese movie instead yeah. of like a three hour meditation on death. Right. It's interesting for that. I mean, at least it's short. That's true. Yeah. God, could you imagine if this was three hours long? <laughs> three hours of him just like. What if you remade this movie and then, but like made it like in real time? Oh, yeah. That's how he does it. Yeah. yeah. He just makes the whole thing real time. Ugh. Yikes! Gets invited to even more apartments. Yeah, he gets turned into a plaster of Paris piece of art. He does. Yeah, he gets. Yeah, he gets encased in plaster. Yeah, paper mache. Paper mache. Yeah, that's it. Paper mache, not plaster of Paris. <laughs> anyway, um, a weird movie. Yeah, weird movie. Weird movie. Um, feels like uh, it. Uh, this is a weird thing to th- say, but like I think it almost feels like. Martin Scorsese's THX one one three eight. I could see that. Where you're just like, what? What What's is this? Yeah. What are you doing? I was gonna say it almost feels almost like Looney Tunesy sometimes. It, it definitely feels Looney Tunesy. Yeah. Um, did we talk about how Tim Burton almost directed? This? Tim Burton almost directed this, but instead he went to go do Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Well, instead Martin Scorsese took it. Yes, Martin Scorsese took it, and they were like, "Hey, it's Scorsese." And yeah. He was like, okay, I'll do this Pee Wee movie. Scorsese was trying to do Last Temptation of Christ, and it wasn't working out. So he's like, "Ah." Stupid studios. Does anybody have anything else? I just need to direct something right now. I have to. I got this thing. Fine. Fine. I'll do this. Uh, Okay. I just got to call somebody. (laughs) Hey, hey, Tim. Tim, you're not directing this anymore. What? No. Oh, okay. Again. (laughs) When, Lord? When? When's going to be my time? (laughs) And then he got a call. (laughs) Yeah. Hi. Uh, (laughs) Hey, Tim, you want to make my movie? (laughs) He's like calling it character. <laughs> I do think this movie would have been greatly improved by Tim Burton directing. Yeah, it. weirdly, this does kind of have more of like a Tim Burton energy, where maybe some of the the more wackier aspects would play more like I don't know. There's like a grit to it. I mean, it's a noir. I don't know. It, it might not even been a. I don't. It, yeah, I don't think it would have been a noir. I think it would have been a little more goth. Yeah. Cause, and, yeah. I'm imagining like, you know, when Pee Wee's walking around in the rain after he lost his bike. Yeah. Like those kind of moodier parts of Pee Wee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also just think that all the female characters that were like hella problematic hmm. in this version of it yeah. 
in Tim Burton's version because he's like afraid of sex. <laughs> yeah, would be not so yeah. problematic. They would have all been like like Miss like Simone from Pee Wee's Big Adventure or Dottie. Right, right. They would have been like cartoon characters. Little a little more cartoony and probably a little more like lovable and less. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like this. I feel like there wouldn't have been a woman that overdosed. Mm-hmm. I feel like there. I don't know. And then, can you imagine the Danny Elfman score? Oh my god, <laughs> that would have been great. Oh man. Anyway, but yeah, it's, it was an interesting watch. Scorsese yeah, is a hell of a filmmaker. He is. Uh, it's interesting for that alone. Um, if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, I guess you should probably check it out. But um, it's. Uh, uh, it's it's a weird one. Prepare for a weird one. Um, speaking of weird ones, uh, we'll we'll be back uh, next month with um, with Nell and I with Nell and I with with Nell and I the final one, right? No. Okay. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We got because we're gonna do Paul after that. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I think I think that's the next one after that. I think it's after hours with Nell and I and then Paul. Right? Because that's six? Yeah. 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 We have six of these. Paul. Looking forward to it. Paul. Paul. Which I haven't seen in years. I've seen it recently, I think. Maybe, have you? Maybe mm-hmm. in the past like, two or three years. Maybe. Oh, okay. It's, I think it's been longer than that for me. But uh, yeah, so we're going to... That, that's that's sort of like a... It, it, it is a part of this Golden Mile hiatus special, but it did not inspire the world's end. It's just more like, what are these guys doing? Yeah. What were they up to? What were they up to? Well, while... Uh, their boy was making Scott Pilgrim was up in Canada. <laughs> what were they doing? And uh, yeah, so we'll we'll talk about that. But um, talk about the movie that everyone thinks is an Edgar Wright movie, but it, it is not. Sure, like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas being a Tim Burton movie. Exactly. I can't. I can't. I can't even count how many times I'll say that Edgar Wright's my favorite director, and they'll be like, "Oh man, I love his stuff." Well, except for Paul, that movie wasn't very good. <laughs> That's fine. I'm like, yeah, it's it's not his. He didn't do it. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening to another one of these, everybody. And uh, we will we will be back in January with uh, with Noah and I. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.